Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Today, I want to talk to you about the hope of Easter. You know, and when I think of the hope of Easter, I want to share with you two things. One is, what happened on that Easter Sunday? And the second thing that I want to share with you is a why. And the way that I do this is I'm going to walk you through, I'm going to take us to seven different locations in Scripture and just pull a snapshot out of there because all of these locations point back to the hope of Easter. So the first place I want to take you to is the wilderness. And uh, this is where Jesus started his ministry. He had just been uh, baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. And the Bible tells us that he went out into the wilderness and for 40 days he fasted. And and during those 40 days, um, Satan tempted him. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn over to Luke chapter 4. And I'm going to read in Luke chapter 4 and uh, I'm going to read verses 5 through 7. And verse 5 says, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you will worship me, it will all be yours. Wow. Here is Jesus starting his ministry. He's in the wilderness for 40 days uh, fasting, and there is Satan tempting him. And as I look at this verse, uh, verse uh, six, it has two things that I want to pull out. The first one is the word authority. Satan said to Jesus, to you, I will give all this authority. And he's showing him. And it's interesting if you saw that, if you read that verse where it says that um, he showed them all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. So something amazing had happened and Satan was showing this to Jesus and was promising him that I will give you all of this authority if you'll worship me. The second point that I wanted to pull out of the scripture is it says, for it has been delivered to me. And, and one of the things that I noticed is that Jesus didn't refute that. He didn't challenge him. He didn't say you're wrong. Um, what he did instead was um, he went and uh, preached to Satan. So the question I have is this, who gave Satan that authority? Well, I'll show you, and it's in our second location, the garden. Now, the garden that I'm talking about is the Garden of Eden. And what God had planned for humans on this earth is so much better than what we're experiencing today. It was a much more beautiful place. Uh, there weren't weeds. There, there wasn't evil. There, I mean, it was perfect. And what God wanted Adam and Eve to experience was what we would call abundant life. Matter of fact, uh, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, let me read this uh, verse to you, and it says this. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
Now that word dominion is the same word that we're seeing in the New Testament of authority. So Adam and Eve had been given authority over all of God's creation. And then if you just fast forward to chapter 3, and I won't read those verses to you, but I'd encourage you to, to go through that. You remember the story about Adam and Eve in the garden and, and being tempted by Satan and, and eating of the fruit of the tree of life. Or I'm sorry, the fruit of the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did that, Adam and Eve became patient zero when it came to the virus of sin that I talked about last week. And when that happened, they gave up their authority. They gave up their dominion over the earth. And Satan had that. And then God came down and he told Adam, he cursed all three of them. And he cursed Adam by saying this, you're going to have to survive through the sweat of your brow and toiling with the ground. And to Eve, he told her this, that you are going to have pain in childbirth as you fill the earth. And then Satan, he said, that the seed of the woman, you're going to strike its heel, but it's going to crush your head. See, that pointed right back to the hope of Easter. And for centuries, from that point up until 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, on a hill called Calvary, Satan was trying to stop and thwart what God had cursed him over. Takes us right back to the hope of Easter. Well, the third location that I want to show you is the upper room. The upper room is where Jesus is with his disciples. This is the night before he is uh, to be crucified. Uh, He's having the last supper, what what we've uh, studied. He washed the disciples' feet. Judas betrayed him. In less than 24 hours, he's going to be crucified. And listen to what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 16 and verse 16. He said this, A little while and you'll see me no longer. And again, a little while and you'll see me. Now think about that. A little while, see me no longer. And then a little while, you'll see me. Now I want to get nerdy with you on this a little bit. And and was he talking about the second coming? And meaning a little while, in less than 24 hours, I'm going to be taken away, I'm going to be crucified. And then in a little while, because the Bible tells us that a a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day in God's timetable. And if you go back to that uh, verse in Luke where I talked about how Satan showed Jesus in a moment of time all of the different kingdoms and dominions of this world. Is that what it was talking about there? Well, it could fit. But sometimes the simplest answer is the Right answer. And could it just be that when he said, a little while you'll not see me, he was talking about in less than 24 hours. He's going to be crucified. And then in a little while, just over 72 hours, I'm going to be resurrected. You're going to see me again. Well, to, to see this, let me take you to our next location, and that is the tomb. Now, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all capture this. In Luke chapter 24, you can read about the uh, experience at the tomb by everybody. If you go to Mark chapter 16, it covers the same story. Matthew chapter 28, same story. But I want to, to go into John. And in John, I want to read out of chapter 20. 
And if, uh, and I'm going to start in verse 11, but let me tell you about verses 1 through 10. Because what happens is it tells us that Mary was going to the tomb early in the morning. This is probably 6 o'clock, just as before it's dawn. And uh, her and some other women were going out there. And when they got there, they found the tomb was empty. And an angel told them, we know you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He has risen. Go tell the others. So they go back and, and they tell uh, the disciples and uh, Peter runs alongside of John to the temple or the tomb. They look inside the tomb. They see that it's empty. And the Bible tells us in these different uh, stories that John believed in his heart. He knew. He remembered Jesus telling him that this was going to happen and I'm going to be raised from the dead. And he believed that. Peter, not so much. Matter of fact, in, in uh, John 20, and, and, uh, it tells us that Peter pondered these things. He thought about them as he's walking back to his home. Well, that takes us to verse 11. And in verse 11, everyone's left and Mary's still left there by the tomb. And it says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and and she wept. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Now, you may be wondering, how in the world could she not recognize Jesus? She just spent two and a half to three years following him and watching all that he had done. Matter of fact, the night before, she was one of the ones that had pulled the body down and, and helped take it to this tomb. Well, I submit to you that Mary was experiencing some emotional distress. Let me think about that. Someone that she loved dearly, somebody who had breathed life into her, who had spoken words of life, who had given her a new lease on life, was gone. She watched him die on the cross. She helped put his body and wrap it and carry it to the tomb. And for three days, this is the memory that she has. And then on the first day of the week, She's going there, and and the reason why she was going is she was uh, with the other ladies. They were going to prepare the body because they didn't have time because of the Passover. And so I don't know if you've ever seen a a Jewish tomb or what they look like, but typically inside these caves, they don't don't bury them under the ground. They would put them in caves, and inside the cave, um, they would carve out shelves, and and then on on each side there would be a shelf, and then in the center there would be a a four- to six-inch depression uh, dug out, and that's where a, a newly um, dead body would be laid, and they would prepare it. And the way they would do this is they would pour all kinds of uh, oils and perfumes on it. They would put flowers um, on the body, and then every so often they would come back and they would refresh that. And and ultimately, at some point, the body would have decayed to nothing but the bones. And then they, they would take those bones. And they would either put them in a bag or they would put them in a box and, and they would hold those. If you've ever read through the Old Testament, there's many times where they carried the bones of, the, uh, of Jacob um, with them where they were going. Well, that's how they did that. Is, uh, and, and that's what they were planning on doing with Jesus' body. But when Mary gets there, 
The body's not there. And now, here she is having an encounter with Jesus. And she didn't even know that it was Jesus. And look at here in verse 15 what it says. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? I just want to submit this. When God asks us questions, he already knows the answer. Jesus already knew the answer that he was asking Mary. And then Mary answered, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. You know, Mary was looking for that physical attachment. It's no different than what we do today. Uh, maybe you've lost a loved one, and periodically you go back to the gravesite and you, you put flowers out or you may decorate it at different times of the year. And, and while you're there, it's that, that there's a great way for you to remember them and, and just the memories come back and, and a lot of times the tears. And that's what Mary was looking for. She just wanted the, the physical body. She wanted something that she could hold on to. And here it was standing in front of her, resurrected, alive, and she didn't realize it. And so she's asking Jesus if he would give her, show her where it's at. I'll take care of it. I'll hide it. I won't tell anybody. Verse 16, and Jesus said to her, Mary, when he used those words, she knew. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Now you can imagine what just happened as uh, Jesus identifies himself through uh, calling her by name. And Mary is now excited. Um, And the Bible tells us in 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. You know, this verse cling here is used 36 times, three dozen times in the New Testament. And each time it it used, it means to touch. Matter of fact, there's a a story about Jesus going through the crowds and and there was a woman who uh, had a, a physical disorder for years and she touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus said, who touched me? That's the same word that we see here as the word cling. And so Jesus is telling Mary, don't touch me. For I've yet, not yet ascended to my father. But then he gives her something. He says, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father. I am going to my God and to your God. And let them know that. And so Mary uh, leaves and she goes to tell everybody. And, and, and the, the way the Bible says is, I have seen the Lord. Well, let me help you. This is what happened, and and there's a little more to it um, because Jesus isn't done. And later that day, let me take you to location number five. Location number five is the house. This is where the disciples were hiding, for lack of a better term. Matter of fact, it tells us that that, that they were hiding. And because the Jewish leaders, the the Roman leaders, everybody wanted to find out where the body of Jesus was. Everybody knew he was dead. Everybody knew he was crucified. And so uh, in John chapter 20 and verse 19, it says this. <clears throat> and on the evening of that day, the first of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. Verse 20. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Wow. 
So what happened? Because when you, when you see that he showed them his hands and his side, it literally means that he allowed them to come up and examine and touch it. That's why Thomas, when uh, he wasn't here for this and he found out about it, he said, I'm not going to believe until I can touch him because everybody else already had. What happened? What's the difference between earlier that morning when Mary's trying to love on him and hang on to him and he's saying, don't touch me, don't cling to me, I've yet to ascend to my father. And then here in the evening, probably sometime between 6 p.m. or 9 p.m. or maybe even a little bit later, and they're all locked in, hiding for fear of what can happen to them. And Jesus appears and he says, examine me. Know that it's me. What happened? Well, I'll tell you what changed. He ascended to the Father. And when he ascended to the Father, he got back the dominion. He got back the authority that Satan had claimed and promised him back in stage one of this in the wilderness during the temptation. Let me show you where this happened. And to do that, we need to go and visit the throne. In Daniel chapter uh, 6, it te- or I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 7, it tells us this. And, and I just want to read a couple verses to you. I'm going to read verses 9 through 12. And as I looked, the thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, ten thousand times ten thousands before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. And I looked then because the sound of great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. And verse 12, as for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away. But their lives for a season, prolonged for a season and a time. It doesn't stop there, though. Uh, he continues to read in verse 13. And I saw in the, vision, the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and that all the peoples of the nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His authority is an everlasting authority, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. You know, I find it interesting that from the time that Jesus ascended after he left Mary, until the time that he presented himself to his disciples that evening. At some point, and there's a lot of other things that happened. Uh, on the uh, road to Emmaus, uh, he encountered some disciples. Uh, there were other uh, interesting things going on in Jerusalem at this time. But the most important thing that he did was he presented himself to his father as the ultimate sacrifice. The debt of sin had been paid for in full. And I'm here to tell you on that first Easter morning that a judgment took place on that resurrected day. Between Sunday morning and Sunday evening, Jesus presented himself. And what he did was he destroyed sin on that resurrection day almost 2,000 years ago. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians that tells us about this and explains it. It says, um, the sting of death is sin and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the hope of Easter is just that, it's victory. Death was arrested. The sting of of death is sin, and it is no more. We have hope 
That hope is explained to us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. It says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law but under grace. We don't have to wait for our glorified bodies to have authority and dominion over sin. We get to live in authority right now. But just like Adam and Eve, how they gave up their authority, so often we give up our authority. We give up our dominion that God, that Jesus Christ secured 2,000 years ago on the cross. Matthew 27 talks about how that the authority, and it demonstrates the authority over death very clearly. So let me read to you from Matthew chapter 27. It's a very interesting scripture. You should certainly mark this. I'm going to read verses 50 through 53. And Jesus cried out loud with a loud voice. And yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. In verse 52, the tombs were opened. And many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Woo! I don't know about you, but could you imagine? The Bible tells us they call this the first fruits. And so uh, those saints who had uh, believed and before Jesus even was on the scene, these, their bodies, see, Jesus was given all authority, given all dominion. And this uh, example was so that they could walk throughout Jerusalem. And I'm confident they went and saw their family members and identified themselves. Crazy. But that's what happened in Jerusalem on this first Easter Sunday. Well, let me take you to the seventh location. And the seventh location is this, the mount. This, so, so I've talked about what's happened and a little bit of the why, but this here answers why Easter happened. I mean, I've thought about this many times. I don't know if you have, but wouldn't it be nice that when you uh, come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that poof, you just, you go into eternity. Wouldn't that be incredible? You don't have to deal with the, the aches and pains. You don't have to deal with the suffering in this life. You don't have to deal with the problems of sin and evil. You just go straight into heaven. But that's not what Jesus had. That's not what God ordained. And Matthew 28 uh, tells us this. In verse 16, it said, Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Now Jesus had been with them for 40 days. This is the 40th day. And during those 40 days, I find that there was eight different times where Jesus interacted with the disciples. So he didn't stay with them those entire 40 days. He didn't sleep with them at night. And it tells us that he presented himself to um, upwards of crowds of 500. And verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now let me read Matthew 28 and verse 18 to you. And verse 18 says this, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is the hope of Easter. The authority and dominion that Satan had that he tempted Jesus with was now given to him. That's what we saw in Daniel chapter 7, how that um, it, was not, it was given to him, and it was all those things that Satan had promised him, Jesus secured three years later with his death and resurrection. The hope of Easter is that Jesus got that authority back. 
And let me tell you this, that the way that Satan gets dominion is when someone gives it to him. Adam and Eve did it, and I believe that we've all done this. At some point in our life, we uh, come to the knowledge of good and evil, and we, when we sin, we give authority and we give dominion over to Satan. And what Satan does is, even after we've come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, he wants us to believe a lie. He wants us to believe that we're not good enough. He wants us to believe that, you know, you can't overcome your past, that what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough. Oh, it it may be for somebody else, but for you, it doesn't matter. And when we believe that lie, we give Satan the dominion. And yet Jesus came to take it back. And with a simple prayer and the blood of Jesus is applied and we get that authority, we get that dominion back in our lives. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to claim this? Are we going to take this? I believe that we all want victory. I believe that we don't want to give away the dominion. We don't want to give away the authority. But many times there's an area in our life that we continue to struggle. We continue to give that back to Satan, even though he has no power, even though he has no authority in your life because you're a child of God. Why? It's been paid in full. Jesus entered into the most holy place and he obtained our eternal redemption. And the ideal is what he told his disciples in Matthew 28 and verse, after verse 18. He says, go and make disciples. That's why we don't get saved and poof, we're in eternity. God wants us to go and make disciples. So why all this captured in Scripture? Well, it tells us in John chapter 20, verse 31, at the end of the chapter, he says, but all of these things were written so that you may believe. What do you believe? That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's what the hope of Easter is all about. Do you want to have the best Easter ever? You don't have to live defeated. You claim that back. You claim what Jesus secured 2,000 years ago. Just like Adam and Eve gave it up 2,500 years before Jesus was on the cross, the same thing happens for, to us. Only it's 2,000 years later, and we're giving up our authority. We're giving up our dominion. And so I would ask you this. Normally in a church, I would ask people to close their eyes, bow their heads, but I, you know what? You don't have to do that. It doesn't matter where you're at, what you're doing. Just listen to me right now. If you have given your life to God, I, w- I want you to, in the comments, just write, I believe. If you've ever asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, let's put your testimony down and, and share that. Because there are people who are watching this right now and they're seeing those comments and they're wondering, am I the only person? If, if I were to uh, identify as a, a Christ follower, would I be alone? Show them right now that they're not alone. Show them and, and proclaim what you have done. Maybe you're that person that's out there. And you need to give your life to God. And let me just share two verses with you. It comes out of Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. And it says this, that if you shall confess with your mouth that Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's that simple. It's not typing the words, I believe. It's believing that Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago died on a cross to pay for 
your sins. And believing that not only did he die, but three days later, he rose from the dead. And today, he sits at the right hand of the Father. That's how simple Christianity is. Maybe, and I would encourage you, um, reach out to one of our pastors that are there online with you. Let us know. Uh, We've got a resource, and we'll share with you after this how, how we can get that into your hands. This is how you make the best Easter ever. And maybe you're out there and you've ne- you, you need to give your life back to God. You need to claim the authority. You need to claim the dominion that you've given up to the enemy. You can do it right there, privacy of your own home. With people there, I'd grab hands, I'd start praying. Do you believe? I know it sounds simple. I know it sounds too easy, but it's just that. There's nothing else added. Do you believe? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just come to you and I ask God that this Easter, Lord, is different. God is different much like it was for that first Easter. The disciples didn't know what to think. The ladies wondered. The Jewish leaders were upset and furious. The the Romans just wanted everything to be calm. And yet, God, many people missed out on what happened, how that you appeared in front of the Ancient of Days and you offered up yourself as the payment. God, I thank you that one day a little seven-year-old Ronnie Tabor reached out and accepted this free gift. Lord, I pray that those that are listening to this right now, God, that they would, they would establish in their heart that they believe exactly what Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 say. Have your will and your way through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that you make this your best year or your best Easter yet. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.